0: Father, we thank you for your word that you have delivered to us It is just filled with wisdom, insight, and understanding. And we pray that as we continue to read about the Hebrews or the letter to the Hebrews that you would fill us with that insight and you would enable us to understand completely and utterly where everything came from in the eyes of the Jews and bring that understanding up to the modern day, that it might affect us, that we wouldn't suffer from the same same pitfalls that they have endured in the past. And, Lord, we know that you want us to be solid in our faith. We know that you want us to be enduring. We know that you have nothing but good things in store for us. Even though when we are afflicted, we know that all things work together for good. But, Father, we ask for your blessing on your word as it goes out. And, Father, for Omar and for Tom and Janie and for the praise about... S-D-G-N-E, you are good, and every good and perfect gift comes from you, and we acknowledge that and receive from you humbly with a thankful heart in Jesus' name, amen. We are in Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm just going to pick it up there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, with the introduction bringing to mind that the writer of Hebrews is talking to the Hebrews. He's talking to the Jews that are under the law and the sacrificial system that comes from that. And that law was just foreshadowing what was to come. And that's what it says in the first verse here. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. The sacrifice was a reminder and not a remission of the sins, you know the sacrifices that they would continually offer, uh, the law as it ju- as we just read, was only a shadow of the things to come, the holy days that they would celebrate, the festivals, all of that was just a shadow of what was to take place in the future, and Paul wrote for us all of these celebrations and these observances in Colossians chapter two, verse sixteen and seventeen. He said, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And so if one person, even today, says one day is more holy than another day, and this is the day you should worship, or this is the day you should not work on, or this is the day where you should not eat a particular food, or whatever the case might be, you don't have to pay attention to that. If you want to eat dirt, You can eat dirt. If you want to have clam sauce, you can have clam sauce. Whatever you want to consume, God has given you the privilege to do that. Whatever day you want to observe, God has given all of us the privilege to do that. We do not have to be confined. That is setting up hedges. Now, some people in their walk with Christ need hedges. Now, we we want to make sure, for instance, in our dress that we dress appropriately, right? But there are those who would say, Well, no, that's not good enough. Uh, and for us, like in Calvary chapels, you know, there are some Calvary chapels the pastor wears suits, and I wear a suit from time to time, and I have a tie on from time to time, and sometimes I don't. Most of the time I wear long sleeve shirts, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I show skin up my arm. Yeah, and it's okay. To do that, we just want to make sure that we're not stumbling anybody in any fashion. But if somebody comes along and says, no, too much, dial it back, you know, or not enough, you need to bump it up, brother or sister, whatever the case is, they are the ones that are more immature. Paul tells us that everything is lawful for us, but not everything is expedient, which means we have tremendous freedom. We have freedom to worship in the ways prescribed in the scripture, but whenever we want to. We have the freedom to eat whatever we want to, and that's the freedom that we have in Christ. The other religions aren't like that. If you don't follow the particular teachings of that religion, well, there's a chance you may not go to the next level, or you may not get to heaven, or you may not go somewhere. Even the cults, the Christian cults are like that. You must follow a particular teaching. There's always information control. There's financial control. There's behavioral control, and we put no controls on anybody in this church and i pray no other christian church does that's not what we're supposed to do but scripture does tell us that you know we're supposed to put away filthy language we're to walk uprightly live a life of purity all of that it doesn't mean you have a license to sin god forbid as paul says in the book of romans but this idea that we would have the freedom that is foreign to many because we we have this inside of us to want to control And God says, no, you are free. You are free to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, For this reason it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could... Would they not have stopped being offered? And, of course, he's talking about the sacrificial system, the bulls and the rams and the lambs being offered and the goats and the turtle doves and the pigeons. For the worshiper would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins so when they would have the yom kippur once a year and the high priest would go in and sprinkle the ark with the blood the mercy seat up there it was to remind not only the high priest but everybody else we are sinners And God judges sin. That was the point of going in there. But when Jesus Christ went into the heavenly tabernacle and sprinkled his own blood up there, then it was done once and for all. And that's the difference between the two covenants, as I have already covered in the past weeks. Verse 5, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you do not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Now, this is a quote from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. And in in verse 8, it says, I desire to do your will. O my God, your law is within my heart. And in the previous verses to that, it's just it transfers. Now, there is some language difference because you go from the ancient Hebrew text to the Septuagint and from the Septuagint to the English. And so there's a little bit of changing, but that's what it is. It's the quote from Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. In verse 8 in Hebrews, it says, first. He said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. And if you remember Saul, King Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, he went out to wipe out the Amalekites, and he didn't do it fully. His heart wasn't fully behind the Lord. And of course, this is a problem, and Samuel accused him of not fulfilling what the lord had said completely and he goes you know i did everything and he didn't he even saved their king agag and he took sheep and cattle for plunder and god said i want you to destroy it all and in verse 22 of first samuel chapter 15 it says to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams the sacrifices had become meaningless. They were just going through the motions, so to speak. And we can run by extension, by application, into that same rut where we get up and, oh, I I need to serve at church today. Okay, I'm going to serve at church, and your heart has become cold. Now, when I was growing up in my spiritual walk, there was this guy by the name of Keith Green, And he had this song and it says, my eyes are dry, my heart is cold, is what he talked about. In other words, you can do the works, but... Inside, the vibrancy of the walk in the Spirit, it's not there. There's no joy. You're just kind of trudging along. And there's a cloud over your head, little lightning and drops falling down wherever you go, and it's contagious, and other people, oh, what's wrong with you? Oh, woe is me. And, and it's almost like you've been baptized in lemon juice or something rather than the water of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's necessary that we constantly check our hearts. That we don't fall into this depressive state as we serve the Lord. And I want to assure you, there are plenty of reasons why you can just buck up and say, that's it, I'm done, I'm turning into Mr. Sourpuss. I'm not going to be happy about anything anymore. And, you know, scripture, Philippians 4a, what does that say? Whatsoever is true, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is right, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about that, such things, unless you want to think, what is a downer, what is bad, earthquakes, and you know, it's just go on and on. My daughter and I, we were texting back and forth, and the hurricane's hitting. Then there's an earthquake down in Mexico. 30 plus people died down in Mexico. So I text her back, Not only that, there were 2,300 earthquakes up in Wyoming or Utah because of the super volcano in Yellowstone. They think something's going to happen. I said, not only that, volcanoes around the world. And if you go to this website, this website shows you all the active, current active volcanoes throughout the world. So I took a snapshot of that and I sent it to her. And it has all these volcanoes everywhere. And then there's Jose out there in the Caribbean that's coming in. And we had Irma coming up the, the panhandle of Florida. And we had Harvey going on. And she goes, what is going on? And I said, but do you know about the blood moons and the eclipse and all of that? And the harbingers that are to come. It was, and September 23rd, the rapture is going to happen. It's, oh, we're going to die. You know, something. No, we're not. If you look back, we haven't had a major hurricane in almost 12 years. And before now, the hurricanes were much more prevalent. If you go over to the uh, Far East and Japan and China, the typhoons that hit, there are nothing. We have nothing compared to what they get over there. You know, there was, and I forget the year that it happened, but here in the United States, over 6,000 people died in one hurricane. And if we have... 50, we think it's a tragedy. I mean, we're doing pretty good compared to the whole of history. And there's websites that show the earthquakes and everything else, and we can be on a downer, and that's just the world. That's not our lives, right? Well, the finances are down. My relationships are terrible. You know, I'm not in the Word, and woe is me. We don't want to be falling in that vein. We want to keep upbeat. We want to make sure that No unwholesome talk come out of our mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. That's how God calls us to walk. Why? Because we have this hope of what lies ahead. The, The biggest that the enemy can do to us is kill us, right? And then what happens? glory you know we're all up in heaven it's just going to be a great thing up there and so we have this hope this thing that is above us that christ promised for us and so we want to make sure we don't sink into the doldrums so to speak and god got to the point where he was not satisfied with the sacrifices he did not delight in them according to psalm 51 verse 16 the sacrifices that god is pleased pleased with is a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart oh god you will not despise according to psalm fifty-one, seventeen, and so not that we are always down but before god when we recognize our sin we humble ourselves and then god lifts us up it's like he comes to us and he grabs us by the shoulders and he stands us up and goes it's going to be okay You just wait. This blessing is right around the corner. And so that's how we have to interpret what's going on here. This idea that sin and these Hebrews who want to go back to this old sacrificial system, there is no merit in it whatsoever. And there's even some warnings that are delivered with this as we continue to go through here. But we can go through the motions. We can give our money and not our hearts. We can give our time, but not our hearts. We can give our service, but not our hearts. We can give lip service, but not our hearts. And God wants our heart. He doesn't want your sacrifice more than he wants your heart. Verse 9. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second referring to the covenants and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of jesus christ once for all day after day every priest stands and performs his religious duty again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins now the sacrifices we have no idea what the sacrifices are it's almost like where does chicken come from the store right Chicken comes from the store. But it doesn't. It comes from farms. And what do they have to do to get the chicken from the farm? They have to slaughter the chicken. I I don't know if you remember this. Several years ago when Sarah Palin was running for president, she was standing in front of a guy culling turkeys. Do you guys remember that? And what he would do, there's this big funnel. And he would take these turkeys and he'd put the head in the funnel And he'd pull it out the other side and he'd slit the throat and there's Sarah Palin right there talking. The camera's right at her and this guy's culling the turkeys in the background. He's just, hey, what's happening? And he's just killing the turkeys, you know, and the blood's pouring out and so many people were offended, you know, by where do you think we get turkeys from? Well, you think that's bloody. It is estimated by Josephus. Let me get the number here. That on one Passover celebration... 256,000 lambs were sacrificed in Jerusalem. Now, if you try to figure out, well, how much blood is that? Now, I don't know how many pints of blood a lamb has, but I took a guess. I said, say two pints of blood. Now, that may be under, that may be over, I don't know. So if I took two pints of blood, and I say, well, there's... Two pints and a quart, four quarts and a gallon. How many gallons of blood is that that would be spilling out? It would be 62,500 gallons of blood. Now, how much is that? That's a lot. My parents used to have a 19 by 40 swimming pool. It held 20,000 gallons of water. I used to work and drive a 6,000 gallon water pole. the blood is unbelievable and it would go off the temple Mount and it would pour down into the Kidron Valley. And if you've ever been to a slaughterhouse like I have, there's this smell that is there. And so it was a very odorous environment that was taking place and it was meant to remind the people of the sin. And it wasn't anything pleasant that they had to endure. And, God wanted them to make sure this is make sure that they knew this is the cost of the sin. And it was a terrible sight. And they want to reinstitute that, by the way. And they will. They'll reinstitute that. And I know Peter will probably be up in arms when they do that, but it is all in God's plan that this will take place. Now going on here. It says in verse 12, but when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. And this is another quote from Psalm 110 verse 1. Obviously, the person who wrote Hebrews was a scholar of the Old Testament because he quotes it so often. Because of one sacrifice, he was made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and will write them on their minds. Then he adds their sins and lawless acts. I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place in the The blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled and cleansed to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds and let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching now as i just read that this is classic pauline theology what he does is he gives This is the theological aspect of what the Hebrews are doing in the Old Testament covenant. And this is what they had to follow. And it never took away sin, but it was a foreshadowing of the things to come. So he explains the theology. Once he explains the theology, he goes to the practical application. Once you get the practical application, he goes, this is what you do because of the theology. If you don't have right theology, what are you going to do? Make a mistake. And so he lays out the theology, proper theology, and he says, because of this, follow these guidelines. And I'm going to say these guidelines again. If you were to look at the scriptures here, he says, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, first one, let us draw near to God. Because we can. Remember the Old Testament priest? He went to the Holy of Holies. He was the only one that could do it. And only once a year. The rest of the people did not have access to God. But he tells us, draw near to God because of this. And secondly, in verse 23, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. So how do you hold unswervingly? You have to have knowledge. You have to know what you're doing, right? If you don't know what you're doing, you kind of panic when there's a problem. You get a little shaken. What's going on? You know, I've explained to you before I scuba dive, right? Buzz and I, we're partners and we go down there and we're bubbling around and I know when Buzz is okay, he knows when I'm okay, we do this and everything's just peachy keen. But we've taken some people out before with us and we get underneath, you know, we're down at 70 or 80 feet and you can tell that this is not going to end well. And the person is not sure what to do. They're not sure what they believe they're supposed to do. And, you know, one of the bad things about scuba diving, if you have this BCD and you blow it up with air, and if you blow it up with air too much, guess what's going to happen? You're going to rise like a cork. And if you rise like a cork, guess what can happen to you? You get the bends. And if you get the bends, what happens to you? You can die. And we don't want anybody to die. You know, so we'd come in, Buzz would be the theologian, would come in and pull the air relief valve and settle the person down. It's going to be okay. And that's what teachers in the body of Christ are for. They come in, they say, this is what you're supposed to do. Don't worry, you're not going to rise too quickly. You're not going to blow up and expand and have your joints hurt and everything else. You're going to be just fine. That is all of our task to come to maturity so we can help people inside of the body of Christ. Don't you see how scuba diving's in the book of Hebrews? I mean, it's right there. It's it's just plain as day. Now, going on with this, it says, let us also consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That means, like as the pastor of the church, I'm supposed to come to you and say, look, we need to do this because God wants us to do that. And you might say, I don't think so. What's my job after that? Okay. No, I'm supposed to go... Come on! This is what the Lord wants us to do. I'm supposed to be a cheerleader. Ra, ra, ree, kick him in the knee, you know. Let's go do this thing for the Lord. He has enabled us. He has opened the doors for us to do this. Why not go forward? After all, there's a reward in heaven. And still, you'll get some people go, I don't know. You know, it just seems like a problem. And I'm going to have to spend some money and I won't be able to play my video games or look at my phone if there's no Wi-Fi reception. You know, we, we can encourage one another to love and good deeds. If you know somebody inside the body of Christ that, you know, come on, get on the stick. Let's, let's do this thing. Let's go forward. Let's be the disciple. Let's reach out to those who need the gospel, who are dying and going to hell. That's our job. If you know somebody like that, encourage them. If you're a sister in the Lord, you go up to another sister and you go, hey, sister, how are you? Did you hear Pastor Bill? Or if it's a brother in the Lord, hey, brother in the Lord, did you hear Pastor Bill? Pat him on the back say, let's go do something. You know, and, and doing something doesn't get you salvation. It just means you're being a good child of God. That's all that it means, and that's what we're encouraged to do here. Now, going on with this, He says in verse 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What does that mean in our vernacular of the day? It means go to church. It means go to study. Now, there are legitimate reasons why somebody doesn't come to church. Legit. You know, they can be a shut-in. They can't make it. They're sick. You know, they're... Visiting a round white thing and yelling some guy's name, Ralph, all the time. And they, you know, they shouldn't be at church, right? Legitimate. They're away on an anniversary. They're away on a birthday. They've taken a vacation. I mean, all legitimate. But if somebody wakes up and says, I just want to do something different today. Did we not just read the scripture? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, I don't say this to beat anybody over the head. I'm supposed to encourage everyone here to love and good deeds, just like I'm supposed to encourage myself in that. You are not alone in these things. And so let's make sure that we are sold out. Say, for instance, if you were in the military... If you're in the military and the drill sergeant comes in and everybody's supposed to stand at attention at the end of their beds that are completely made and everything is ship-shaped and you can drop a dime in that mattress and that dime just bounces and you're the one just crawling out of the bunk and you're putting one shoe on as everybody else is standing at attention and you're putting your shirt on and the drill sergeant walks in, are you being a faithful soldier? No, you're not being a faithful... Would I be being a faithful soldier? No, I wouldn't be. And he has called us. We are in the Lord's army. Or the person that says, you know, I I just don't want to participate. It's not my thing. (laughs) In Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 4, of course, it was King Solomon that wrote this. But he said, if the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your post. Because if you remain you will lay way great error or you have the possibility to avoid great error. When we don't show up to our post, it's the same thing. Now, again, I'm just encouraging you. It's not supposed to be a guilt trip. We just simply examine our lives and say, is this what the Lord wants me to do? I'll do it. Instead of saying, is this what the Lord wants me to do? I don't know, I don't feel like that today. We don't tell that to our little kids, right? Our grandkids and our babies that are out there. Oh, your diaper needs changed. I just saw Eric the other day grab one of his kids, put her up here and take a big whiff. <laughs> and he went, you know, he put his head back like that and I I thought to myself, ah, oh, he's being a good dad. He got his daughter to change her, right? And so, <laughs> and so that, that's our job. We want to make sure that we... Understand we have this great high priest that we're supposed to draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, and let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. And do not forsake the gathering together of the brothers, as is the habit of some. Now, with this, we're drawing to the end of the chapter here. There are five warnings that I told you about in the previous chapters that are delivered to us. And I actually think there are six but there is the danger of drifting, which we hit in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that you just drift away, that you kind of become melancholy and you don't do what you're supposed to, or I don't do what I'm supposed to. Chapters 3 or 4, there's the danger of not entering into the rest. That's what the Israelites did not do. There's doubting that the Lord would do exactly what he said. There's the danger of not going on to maturity. Remember, Paul said, Uh, who i believe is the author of hebrews he said you know you you ought to be teachers by now and go on from the basics of the christian faith the laying on of hands and baptisms and such and then there is the danger of willful sin which we pick up and hebrews chapter 10 verse 26 he says if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth no sacrifice for sins is left but only the fearful expectation of judgment and the raging fire that will consume the enemies of god so the book of hebrews is meant to be a warning to the hebrew church but the, the, the believers that were in the church that were hebrews and these people were running the risk of drifting away and doing all these things. And he's saying, encouraging them, don't do this. And then he goes on to say, if you deliberately keep on sinning and in the NIV, I don't like how it reads here. It should be if you keep on sinning willfully with deliberate action, it's where you uh, consider yourself Above, that God will forgive you that if you decide you want to sin in a particular area and you say it's okay God's grace is bigger than that he'll forgive me that's what it's referring to here it's referring to and the old covenant a man or a woman was condemned if they didn't follow the covenant on the testimony of two or three witnesses they would be killed if they didn't follow the covenant that's pretty rough imagine coming to the church and two or three people say, they're not following the procedures of an usher. Death to the usher. You know, what are you talking about? You know, why? I just didn't shut a door. I didn't turn off the lights. What? You have violated the law of church ushering and you shall be condemned. Well, that's what it was like under the old covenant you were either banished from the people or you were killed if you started violating the covenant. You know, that was clear. And he says, if a person was condemned to death under that old covenant for that, what about under the new covenant if you trample underfoot the Son of God? What is the judgment then? That's the point he's making here. The judgment is eternal punishment. And that's worse than death. It just like goes on forever. So he's warning the Hebrews Don't take the sacrifice of Christ and just set it aside. Now, with this, you know, there's an easy road to take where you look at this and go, man, this is just so harsh, all of this stuff that is in here. No, it's an encouragement to do what is right. We do this with our children. We turn to our children. We say, now I want you to do what's right. And if you don't do what's right, you know, there's going to be a consequence to be paid. You're so mean. No, it's just a way of life. And so God set us up in such a way that we can understand what is to be done and what is not to be done. And by the way, if we fall into a sin and the sin is, we've, we're weak, uh, we're not understanding that it really is a sin or we're not strong enough to resist, God has so much grace for that individual even the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans wrote about this. And I want you to listen to this carefully. I'm going to read this out of the Living Bible. Sometimes the Living Bible is a little off, but they say it good here. It says, The law is good then, and the trouble is not there, but with me, because I am sold into slavery with sin as my owner. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do... What I don't want to and I hate, I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong. And my bad conscience proves that I agree with these laws I am breaking. But I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It is sin inside me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. For those of you who are old enough to remember Flip Wilson, who made him do it? The devil made him do it. I, I just can't resist. The devil made him do it. If you don't know who Flip Wilson is, that was from another era. But this idea that sin, it battles within us. The flesh, it battles. I mean, just... You don't have to try to battle against it. It's just going to happen naturally. When you read the word of God, you go, oh, I'm guilty. I don't want to do that. And what do you do? You go out and do that. Like, How do I stop that? God said... Don't worry about it. I have grace for you available and I'm going to destroy that body and give you a new body where you don't have to worry about it anymore. Until then, if you fall, get right back up. Just keep walking. Ask for forgiveness. Seek that forgiveness in a humble fashion and God will bless. That is how it works. And Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 talks about those who are spiritual inside the body of Christ that they're supposed to help those who are caught in a sin. It says if a Christian is overcome by some sin... You who are godly should gently and humbly help him back into the right path. Remember that the next time, it might be one of you who is in the wrong. And so that's God's grace. That is just marvelous. But the person who says, I can do this, and it's okay, God will forgive me. That's dangerous ground to be on. And so God wants us to have the right heart attitude in this. Verse 28, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him who has insulted the spirit of grace. So under two or three witnesses, if he violated the covenant, you were condemned to death. Verse 30, for we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God or the living God. So fearful expectation back in verse 27 of judgment awaits those who take the covenant of God that he set up for us and just discard it. Verse 32, remember those earlier days after you have received the light, Then you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. It would be equivalent to us in the United States if the United States changed and they said, you're a Christian? Well, we're taking your house. We're taking your car. You don't deserve to be driving around in something like that. We're going to tell you what you can afford and that's what they did back then. They would strip the Christians of what they had. And they they said they endured it joyfully. I don't know when the last time somebody took your car you were joyful. I I had my car stolen once right out of my driveway. I didn't come outside and go, praise the Lord. I probably should have. It was an Oldsmobile, but this. Uh, <laughs> but anyhow, you know, I didn't do that. I I didn't turn to the Lord and say, "I'm I'm happy." But back then, they did this, and he's telling them, "Don't go away from the confidence that you have." Maintain the place. In other words, finish well. In Luke chapter six or nine, verse sixty two, it says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So if you started well and you're zealous for the Lord and you have all this knowledge and go, Ah, I'm tired of that. I want to do something else. That's what the Lord's talking about. Don't engage in the fight, the spiritual fight, to win souls and make disciples, and just say I'm done. That's what the warning was for the Jews, for the Hebrews here. He says in verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. By my righteous one, or my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. And that's one of the warnings that I hadn't given before, but it's plain from scripture here. Shrinking back. Back. We should always know where we're going. If God changes the direction, wait for that direction to change where you know exactly where he wants you to be. And if you do that, you will be blessed. Is it a little nerve wracking to do that to change direction? Yes. It's nerve-wracking to do that. But if the Lord wants you to go, you can go with confidence and you can persevere through it. It's okay. The Lord's leading me in this direction. It's going to be just fine. And he's telling that to the Jews who came to be Christians, who are losing their possessions, who maybe want to go back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And he's going, don't do it. Stay the course. It's an encouragement for the Hebrews here. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believed and are saved. So it's a total encouragement to the Hebrews to stay the course, to finish well. I'm going to close with this little illustration. I was talking to a man yesterday. He's a brother in the Lord. He is growing leaps and bounds, but he has been through a sh- share of problems. He was telling me that his wife wonderful woman in the lord she was used greatly by the lord in the horizon system Uh, she was serving up in mount Alifan in the 1990s and she was pregnant eight months with a child and she got breast cancer the doctor said that she is going to have to deliver the baby they delivered the baby the baby is fine the baby she's a young woman now and after that she went into the breast cancer treatment and she struggled through it for about two years and then when all hope was lost, they decided, well, we might as well give this shot in this clinic down in Mexico. And they do Laetrile and a few other things. And some people it works for, some people it doesn't. She went down there. And by the way, he thought she was such an evangelist, such an encourager, he thought that she was going to be a K Arthur and he was going to be her manager. She would go give testimonies at Mike McIntosh's church, Horizon, and, and people would get saved. At one time, she gave a testimony. 80 people came forward to get saved. And it was just a, a tremendous thing. She went down to this laetrile clinic down there, and she just loved the Lord so much. And he didn't know it, but she only had 30 days to live at that point. And she would carry around her little IV bag, And she went from room to room. And this guy said everybody in every room was on their last leg. It was their last hope in being there. And he said most of the people when she was there got saved because she would go from room to room. And she would tell them about Jesus Christ and his love for them and that they could live forever. And so she was this evangelist. And as this guy is telling me this, he's just going, praise the Lord, I know why she was here. I know what she was supposed to accomplish to lead others to the Lord. And she persevered right to the end. And she succumbed to the disease after a month of being down in Mexico. But he was happy for the fact that the Lord used her. You know, we, we may have trials and tribulations and he was sad for it. And now he's married to a woman who has Alzheimer's. And, you know, and it just, it seems like it's compounding. But his heart was just like, you know, the lord's good and i think to myself i want to be like that i want to have that attitude i want to make it to the right up to the end i want to be serving the lord so that's my encouragement to you may the lord bless you may he keep you may you receive encouragement as often as you need it to do those works he has called us all to do may you persevere and not fail may you set the flesh to the side and be able to walk a life of victory the Holy Spirit can enable all of us to do that. In Jesus' name. Father, I would ask that you would help us all in here to walk this walk, this difficult walk that is down here, knowing that all things work together for good, Romans eight twenty eight, And we understand that it is for our benefit, not only for this life, but also for the life to come. May we be those true witnesses, those who are humble, those who are meek in your side, but who are strong in the power of the Lord being witnesses, and encouraging others. In Jesus' name, we'll accomplish this through your power. In Jesus' name, and the church said.